I'm totally blanking on the fucking the guy who did the music for the seventh and eighth movies. The motherfucker that did Twilight. What the fuck is his name? Who is that? The motherfucker guy? that did Twilight. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. Not not John Williams. <laughs> no, not John Williams. John Williams, a legend. The 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 bitch that did Twilight. <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Twilight had really solid soundtracks. Like It did. It just, I disliked the franchise so much that, like, I don't care that the That automatically, it was just like, you know, that motherfucker that did Twilight. Exactly. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the guy that did the first one. The first one, I know he was Carter Burwell. It was Alexander Desplat. He's the one. He did seven and eight he was the motherfucker he was the motherfucker and he was good (laughs) he was definitely good in in the second twilight what the fuck is the second twilight kill i'm having i'm struggling what is you are truly struggling yeah new moon you are like i mean we are a harry potter podcast but i feel like twilight is also a very mid 2000s to late 2000s like thing i don't know what happened in the third one i remember the first and second one like genuinely same i can't remember what happened in i know that its name is eclipse yeah and i know that shit happened and i don't remember it i think i've actively tried to block this out because i really don't remember much Into the cauldron, handsome. Most powerful love potion in the world. Bottle, fame, brew, glory. I've never seen a more complicated potion. Disastrous should you get it wrong. Are we going to drink that? Welcome to Most Potent Podcast, where we attempt to bottle fame and brew glory in a weekly discussion, semi-weekly discussion, centered around Harry Potter and fandom. I'm one of your hosts, Rebecca. And I'm Francis. And this week... I think I'm most excited for this week because this week we are going to be talking. has been waiting for this. I, I seriously have. I've been, I'm pumped. We're going to be talking about uh, two things. We're going to be talking about the trailers of Harry Potter and the music of Harry Potter. So let's kick it off. Let's start talking about the trailers. And okay, this might be a controversial opinion. I don't know if it is or not. You might agree. We'll see. I believe that a lot of times... The trailer for a movie can be better than the movie itself. Oh, I completely agree. I don't agree in terms of the Harry Potter movies. Yes. Like, I think that the the movies surpassed the trailers because the movies were very good, but Mm -hmm. I 100% like agree with you on the general principle of like, sometimes trailers are way better than the actual movie. Yeah. Like there's just, cause okay. Like it's no secret that like, that's how trailers work is they take the best scenes and the most exciting scenes and they put them in there to like, to entice you yeah to intrigue you so like a lot of times you get to the film itself and you're just like wow nothing fucking happened because <laughs> i've already seen all this shit in the trailer <laughs> like, lackluster yeah yeah so that is typically how like i'm very I, I it was also really weird to learn that i was passionate about movie trailers like that's that's not something that you just like automatically know it was it hit me when I realized like in high school would wake up for school and you know I'd be groggy and pissed and not want to be awake and as I was getting like dressed and ready for the day I'd put on like my favorite trailers and that would wake me up like that's when I had an inkling that I was like huh you like most trailers. people don't do this <laughs> yeah that, 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 that seems like a hobby of yours so fun fact that's so funny I never knew that you did that 
I did. I did that with trailers, and I did that. <laughs> this is <laughs> the scene in Miss Congeniality too, <laughs> where they sing. Um, they sing on stage. Sandra oh my Bullock god! And Regina King. That's so funny. This was before I knew I even liked theater, even. So I just would watch the second Miss Congeniality, and I watched them sing. Uh... That's super gay, Francis. <laughs> I mean, really, I should have known earlier. We really should have known earlier. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, truly, all the signs were there. We just didn't realize. I I like, I want to be like, why didn't anyone tell me? (laughs) But anyway, so I want to start out, I guess, by like, a notable thing is, as the trailers progress, the Warner Brothers logo. You notice yeah. that it, like, that's, the, I think the first thing that you notice is that it changes over time. Like, oh, yeah. It starts off all happy and bright. Happy in the clouds and gold. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the eighth movie trailer, it's, like, crumbling and flaking and, like, just disintegrating. Dirty. Yeah. Which is disgusting. But I love that. It just, the symbolism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I liked, I feel like that kind of parallels just in general with, like, the energy of the trailer themselves. Like, the first one obviously is, like, oh, we're introducing magic. Like, everything is, like, bright and happy and exciting and, like, this is new stuff. Like, you know, this kid learns he's a wizard and shenanigans happen and, like, Mm -hmm. it's so exciting. And then you kind of see how the energy changes. Then it goes into the second one. I feel like the first couple trailers have that sort of energy of, like sort of how the stories go of individual stories like there's no bigger arc it's just like oh it's the second year what what are they gonna get up to this year yeah i actually um read something recently and i wish that i had the source for this but i don't Mm -hmm. um but i just want to make sure that everyone knows that this is not my information yeah um but i read something recently that because it was after the fourth book came out that um Harry Potter really started blowing up and like as a super popular book series. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of when the plot shifted because the first four books are very much a mystery of like, what's the deal with the Sorcerer's Stone? What's in the Chamber of Secrets? What's happening here? Mm-hmm. Who's the prisoner of Azkaban? Why is he going after Harry? Right. Who put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire? And then we see this shift of this overarching like war effort like um truly we we go much more into like an action adventure route Mm -hmm. like there is very much i think particularly in the fifth and sixth book there's much more like there is kind of an end of year closure because we have the big information gathering and death scenes at the end of both of those but the shift happens and i think that the movies did do a really good job of like portraying that so yeah I think, you know what, I actually think I also read some the, either the same thing or something similar. Mm-hmm. Like, whoever was kind of analyzing this pointed out that, like, it was, it was more than just energy of the books or stories. It was a genre shift. Yes, absolutely. I feel like that happens a lot with TV series. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, usually the first season, like, every episode is sort of, like, an individual mystery that they have to solve. Yeah. And then, like, in later seasons, it turns into, like, oh, every episode builds on itself and it culminates in the season finale. And Yeah. I don't know. That's what, um, this is a slight deviation, but that's okay. Um, if any of our listeners uh, watch Supernatural, 
as a show. Like, honestly, I don't even know who is getting into Supernatural at this point because it's a fucking commitment at this point. But I got into it when it was, like, you know, eight seasons in rather than 15. So, like, you know. Is that still going? It it finished. It finally finished this past year. It finished. Oh, shit. So, yeah. No, it was going for a minute. So it's it was it was the longest running CW show um, thus far. So 15 seasons of like, you know, 23 episodes each for the most part. So, um, (laughs) yeah, but I mean, like, and Supernatural, like truly, I mean, the fandom, if we want to talk about fandom, Supernatural is a fandom. Yeah, that is Um, a vast world. It is truly a vast world. Like the fan fiction alone is just phenomenal. But anyway, so I digress. (laughs) supernatural started off as very much like the entire concept of the show was they wanted to produce a mini horror movie in each episode Mm -hmm. like you know so it would literally just be they described it as the monster of the week so um so they would go in they would fight this monster it would resolve itself and then that's it they would move on Mm-hmm. And that was, like, basically the entire first season. Yeah. Then it's we started getting, like, an overarching plot point in addition to the Monster of the Week. Mm-hmm. And then we just straight up moved to overarching plot. And then 15 seasons later, here we are. So, That's again, how Buffy the, was for me. Like... Yeah. Yeah. Buffy, that's And also, Buffy, you really tried to get me into Buffy, and I never did. Each other. That's fine. We can respect each other's fandoms. Exactly. Just... Yeah. No, we respect other fandoms in this household. Like, that's... I always kind of wonder, like... Did she think about the Horcruxes, like, and the Deathly Hollows? Like, did she know about that in the beginning? Or was that something that she, like, was just like, oh, yes, this convenient plot device? <laughs> like, I think she must have, because we, we know there's a Horcrux so early on. I mean, I, I can't imagine she would have written Chamber of Secrets. And, like, with no idea that she was going to do this. And then later been like, oh, yeah, I'm going to pull that from way back when. Do a callback. Yeah, she must have had, like, at least an idea. Anyway. Anyway. We, that was a total deviation. Um, we should move back to the music and trailers. Yes. yes. Okay, so after, like, we get the whole, like you said, like, after the energy kind of shifts in the stories to, like, you know, shit's starting to get real, that's when the trailers, that's when they start getting darker and more intense. And then I love so much how in the actual last two, like, I feel like those two trailers take on such a, I wouldn't say somber feel. It's kind of somber. But, like, it's essentially the, the message of those is the end is here. Like, everything you've been waiting for is now. Mm-hmm kind of seeing all of it and and knowing like this is going to be the most intense one yet like you've yeah. been a part of this journey for this long and now it's coming to an end like i don't know i think because it's not job. like like we all knew what was going to happen at the end like right. it's not like that there was a mystery in terms of plot well for those just... that read the books <laughs> that is true that is true but it's okay so it's funny Because Harry Potter didn't really do this. So, like, my pet peeve with trailers, I really hate when they legit put out all the best scenes, put out all, like, essentially the entire plot, and show you the story. And, like, you can guess what happens from the trailer. Like, Mm -hmm. I hate that so much. Anytime (laughs) I see 
a new movie where I'm like watching the trailer and it's just like, well, now I don't have to go see the film because I lit- you literally just told me what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's just annoying. It's such a pet peeve. But thankfully, Harry Potter never did that. They drew you in in a way that, like, again, in the beginning ones, they did. I feel like there really wasn't as much of a draw. It was just more like, hey, let's see what shenanigans these guys are getting up to. But then towards the end, you know, they showed the the Quidditch pitch burning down. They showed, like, the Battle of Hogwarts raging. They compared it from the first one to now to, like, see, hey, <laughs> shit got real. See what's happening. Yep. So, like, that's the style that they used to draw you in. They didn't use... Another one of my favorite tactics that I love when trailers do this is when they give you a bunch of scenes and you think you see the plot, mm. but in reality, like, they haven't shown you any of what yeah. the real movie is. Like, the one that comes to mind that does that the best is The Hunger Games. Mm, yeah. Because, like, if you remember in that one, literally the entire trailer is just everything pre, pre-game. pre Like, it has yeah. all the... You know, getting set up for the game and, like, all the, like, prissy parts of, like, showing off the tributes. You don't actually see any moments of the actual games happening. Yeah. So, like, to me, that's absolutely brilliant. And I think Jurassic Park did that, too. Like, there's they show a whole bunch of scenes, like, you know, at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And you think, you think that's the movie. You think that's where everything takes place. But in reality, it's really only maybe a half an hour 45 minutes of the film then the rest of the film takes place and it's like damn that's clever that just i don't know that gets me (laughs) i love that and if you really want to get emotional watch all of them back to back because you can see the little baby harry potter people grow up and it's adorable i know it is so cute to like kind of like see like compare because it's like truly like they did grow up through those films like yeah and it's truly a miracle that the films retained those actors because it it would have been completely different had they not you know yeah. retained the actors like i saw something that emma watson had recently said in an interview that she was considering quitting after the fourth one. Oh, and then she was just like i can't <laughs> did they say why like was she upset with it i mean or... no she was no she was just like she was like i want to focus on school which is mm. very hermione that's so cool. I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It is very... It's satisfying to watch them grow up. Yeah, it is. It's so weird that Rupert Grint has a baby now. Oh my god, I keep forgetting that. Honestly, I know. like... It's so I weird. I truly forget that. I mean, like, I'm happy for him. Like, awesome. I love that. It's like, hey. you know, I'll, I'll always have the image of, like, you know, 12-year-old Rupert Grint just, like, clutching a chicken leg. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the music. So, we know that the music is... Everyone knows it. Yeah, Hedwig's theme. It's haunting. (laughs) It's so good. And everyone knows it. It's always everywhere. Yeah. So we have to acknowledge the true legend, John Williams. How can he not be brilliant? Star Wars, Superman, Indiana Jones. Like, it's endless. This guy is just incredible. But I digress. I have many feelings about John Williams. Clearly. Yeah, he... (laughs) Actually, John Williams was before, I believe, before Harry Potter. I was in first grade. And, yeah, definitely before Harry Potter because I was in first grade. (laughs) We were listening to the Olympic theme that he did. He did the whole album for the Olympics. And we listened to it in music class. And I loved it so much that my parents got it for me for Christmas. 
And that was the first CD that I ever owned was John Williams. (laughs) You're such a nerd. And I love it. (laughs) I also, with that out, they gave me two um, CDs that year. I got John Williams and I got (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Nice. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Iconic. An iconic duo. Yeah, they go so lovely together. (laughs) But yeah, so John Williams did one, two, and three. One and two, I feel like, are very similar in tone. They're very sort of mischievous. They're magical. It's it's very, like, it's exciting. It's new. It's... Lots of brass. um, Yeah, lots of brass. Lots of twinkles. Lots of, Mm -hmm. um, like, twinkly sounds coming in and being like, oh, magic things are happening. So, and that, that checks out because, you know, same director, same composer. Like, the, the styles are very similar. Mm-hmm. Then we move into the third one, Prisoner of Azkaban, and director change. So then you kind of see a different style in just, like, the overall tone of the film. Like, it's grayer. It's kind of, I wouldn't say dark. Yeah, it's but, definitely not dark yet, but definitely more gray. Yeah, like, more melancholy, I would feel like. Mm-hmm. And even though it's still John Williams, I think he captures that. Because... Mm-hmm. Well, because it's the first time that, you know, because in books one and two, we had whatever the danger was, was inside the school. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, when they thought for the entirety of Sorcerer's Stone that it was, you know, Snape was trying to steal the stone... And then the entirety of Chamber of Secrets are just like, okay, where's the Chamber of Secrets? What is the monster? What's happening? Right. But this time, I think that the director does do a good job of shifting the tone because the threat is coming from outside the school. It's like Mm -hmm. Sirius Black is the threat. And he's like, you don't know what's happening with him, you know? So it's like, he could be anywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. And not to mention, the Dementors are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense that just the overall feeling of the film, of the music, because, okay, music carries a fucking film. I will fight anyone on this. Like, Oh, absolutely. And we don't, And the thing is, no one realizes that. But it's no. like, if you watch a film without any sort of music, it's, it's just imagine it. It sucks. Like, yeah, you, you don't feel it. You definitely yeah. don't feel it. And there, it, I've truly seen films that could be incredible. Mm-hmm. But the music sucks, and I'm like, well, yep, don't like this. Yep. Like, you don't realize how much y- it, you rely on it. That's why John Williams is so fucking brilliant. Because that's he takes that energy, and, like, he still has the same themes. You can still tell that it's him. But the fact that he kind of changes the tone of the whole thing, he changes his instrumentation, he changes just how you feel when you're listening, and it does, it feels more melancholy, and, like, that's mind-blowing to me. I love that. Yeah. I think that, to me, one and two are very brassy, whereas three introduces a lot more string mm-hmm. moments. And, and it's a lot like... more uh, chorus, because, well, that's also when we start to see the the Hogwarts chorus, first Yeah, of all, that's true. But... The frog choir. <laughs> yeah, the frog choir. So then, moving right along, you got a new guy, Patrick Doyle. I think he was good. He did a good job in the sense that he created a lot of really solid intensity for mm-hmm. the fourth film. Yeah. Which is exactly what, I mean, the whole thing is about. Like, let's be real. Everything is 
intense. I mean, the, the fourth beginning. one is is the sports movie. Yeah, you know, so the sports movie and the movie where like it it's the beginning of the end. <laughs> yeah, and it, he did a really good job with the Yule Ball situation, mm-hmm. while also like I mean, you know, everyone still remembers the um, entrance of you know the um, Durmstrang people. Oh, like, yeah. Like, that's super intense. Like, mm-hmm. the Mad-Eye Moody scene. Like, you know, you get a lot of intensity from that mm-hmm. one. You do, but that's a really good point. Like, while you get that intensity, you also do get the Yule Ball. You have, like, those sweet moments, you know, mm-hmm. like Neville's waltz and stuff when he's learning to dance and everything. And it's kind of, it's fun. It's comical. It's, like, showing, hey, there's a lot of scary shit going on. But, like, these are still mm-hmm. teenagers at the same time. Yep. So, he did a great job. And also, like portraying different environments uh like the underwater scenes Mm -hmm. those are very and like the bubble bath scene like anything where it's underwater it's very i don't really know how to describe it floaty it's floaty yeah the lake scene is actually it's so cool because it's like like you can think of the lake scene right now it's like Mm -hmm. you know it's like the yeah like you know like that and you, you you just know, and that's just basically, like, that theme is continuously playing over and over, and it's almost mm-hmm. like the Jaws theme, you know? Where yeah. it's just kind of, like, it's just going over and over and over again. But it's very ominous, but mm-hmm. also it's not it's not deep. It's light, but it's still ominous. Because repetition is very o- ominous in music. Oh, for sure. It's, it's kind of like you hear it, and then you start off, and then it does speed up a little bit. So mm-hmm. as things get more intense... So, which is very much Jaws-like. Yes, exactly. So, because I... Also John Williams. Fun fact. Yeah. I mean, well, (laughs) because with Jaws, the, um, and I remember reading this somewhere, but um, it was interesting because what happened with Jaws was they, the shark, because initially there was supposed to be a shark fin, Mm -hmm. and uh, the shark fin broke. So, like, they couldn't use the shark fin. Yeah, no, the shark fin, it broke for the scene. And Mm -hmm. also, again, I am completely, like, just pulling this from my memory. Like, if I'm wrong, listeners, like, I'm very sorry. But I'm, like, 95% sure that this is correct and I read this somewhere. But, <laughs> um, so they, so they didn't have a shark fin, so they had no way of indicating that something bad was coming to the, you know, people in the boat. Oh. So, and that's why, and the, and the Jaws theme was created because they were just like, yo, we need to figure out a way to build up suspense and to let the like viewers know that something bad is about to happen because we don't have any sort of visual for it. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. So, and I think that that's a really cool, I like, that. I think that it's hard for us to think about that in the same kind of context with Harry Potter, because we obviously, we knew what was going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's hard for us to think about, like, the suspense building and that kind of thing, because ultimately we do know the plots because we've yeah. read the books before, right. um, you know, when we're looking at the at the movies. But, you know, Harry has to swim around for a hot minute, you know, yeah. and he doesn't really encounter anything for for a while until. It, but like they still have to build the intensity. Like if he just like was just chilling and like floating around, like it would be a very different scene. It would. Absolutely. And I feel like they used a lot of um. I don't actually know the name. I really should know more of this. It's it's been a hot second since I actually studied music, so <laughs> if I don't if I don't have the language to yeah. convey these listeners, um, we are two 
former musicians that mm-hmm. um, both of us pretty intensely studied music. Um, in my case, in uh, like through high school, and in Francis's case, um, through college. So we yeah, were very I got much... a degree in that shit. And I don't yeah, you did. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so we we both are fairly familiar with music, but it's been a minute, so... (laughs) It really has been a minute, and I apologize, I don't have the proper language to convey the thoughts that I'm trying to say, but we're working on it. Mm -hmm. But what I'm trying to get at is there's a technique that you can hear in the the lake scene, which I think is... I don't know if it's specific to the lake scene, but, like, you you can pick it out a lot as it's happening. As the suspense is building. And they use it in horror movies all the time. Mm-hmm. You take a string bow. Mm-hmm. Like, usually a cello bow. But, or could, eh, probably a bass bow is better. And you bow a cymbal. Like, you run the bow along a cymbal. And it creates that really high-pitched ringing sound that you mm-hmm. always hear in uh, in horror movies. And they use that a lot in the lake scene. And I think mm-hmm. as they're doing that, that's how it... Uh, it's you start to like get that freaky feeling of like oh shit like i should be scared right now yeah which is very cool no that is really cool and also let's just settle on the fact that this guy he really is as familiar as hedwig's theme as really any of the john williams thing i thought that patrick doyle did a, a great job well all of them truthfully the opening scenes of every single movie I don't know if it's just, like, episodic memory of, like, oh, shit, I'm watching this for the first time and I'm really excited. But, like, I remember where I was for every single opening. Like, Mm -hmm. the music, as soon as the music plays, like, it takes me right back to that theater. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I don't know. It's just, to me, like, that's the mark of a really good composer that can transport people to what they're trying to do. Yeah. See, when when you started with that, I didn't think that that's where you were going. Um, because the thing is, okay, so here's where my thought process went. Mm-hmm. So when you said the opening, the opening piece, I immediately was just like, oh yeah, the fourth one, um, cause the fourth one was really weird because it opened with, um, Frank Bryce and like mm-hmm. the Voldemort, like that situation. Yeah. Um, but for me, I just remember because the Dursleys were completely cut out of that one, which is sad because we missed yeah. out on a lot of good scenes there, but whatever. Um, so we just, we immediately go to Harry waking up at the Dursleys or waking up at the Weasleys. Sorry. Right. And uh, then they immediately go to the Quidditch world cup and the Quidditch mm-hmm. world cup, that soundtrack was excellent. Like, yeah, that was so good. It was like, and I still, you know, um, also I love that um, some of the same, like, notes and some of the you you see a lot of repetition in um the quidditch world cup kind of theme into the uh when the students from Durmstrang come in which is really cool like i thought that was like kind of that's a cool like connection there that makes Mm -hmm. you like go back and kind of think about that yeah um but (laughs) then immediately yeah like if i were a Durmstrang student and i like had to perform this entrance and be like why's it gotta be centered around crumb i know <laughs> oh like, i'd be listen. really pissed like it's like you know like crumb's just like walking in like you know in his furs and stuff and the other people are doing the fucking flips like yeah i'd be like put some effort in bro i know so okay. patrick doyle he left his mark on the fourth one and did not return <laughs> yeah then he bailed 
He gave. Let I mean, he gave us guys. the he gave us the Hogwarts theme song, so that's all I really care about. <laughs> this is true. He he did leave us with gifts. Yes, he he yeah. He left some good stuff behind. So then, the person who took his place, our dear friend Nicholas Hooper. So he did number Oop. five and six. Again, I think the opening theme to both five and six were incredible because they that's when it shit starts getting super ominous for those. And that's also when know, Harry he, was in angst city. Yeah, that was definitely angst mode, and that was um, that was when they. Which one was the one where they fucked with the bridge? Was that the uh, Order of the Phoenix, or was that the Half Blood Prince? I want to say Half. I oh, think it, it would was, have to be. Yeah, Half I think Blood it, Prince. Yeah, because the the Az- they escaped from Azkaban in the fifth one. Yeah, I was gonna say Voldemort yeah. wasn't like high in power yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've walked across that bridge. It was very exciting. Really. Yes. I That's was cool. freaked the fuck out because I was like, I saw this bridge go down in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, when you when you see shit like that, that's uh, all too real. Yeah. Can we talk about the fact that Nicholas Hooper gave us such good music for Umbridge? The gift of the Umbridge theme is just like, you can't think of Umbridge without the Umbridge. Like, it's it's just so good. It's so perfect. It fits her so well because she it's everything that she is. It's bright. It's it seems mm-hmm. to be cheery. Yeah. Also yet, it's also not. very aggressive. Yes. Like you can feel cuz it's it's very string heavy and you can feel like they're pressing down on those bows. Like it's like and they're they're moving. Yeah. So, you know, they this is not like a like long drawn out like string situation. Like this is like they are moving. They are pressing down like you can hear very 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 slight like imperfections and i think that's very intentional they're so tiny that you don't notice them but like that tiny little like subconscious part of you is just like wait it really makes you feel like something is off which with umbridge something is off everything about umbridge is off exactly it has this appearance of being perfect but then you're actually just like oh shit oh shit oh shit (laughs) Yeah, and, and it also super... and throwing it back to the conversation about the lake. There's like a lot of repetition in the Umbridge theme, mm-hmm. so and um, and I think that again that kind of has like the same concept as the Jaws thing of like, okay, so this woman is not really doing anything. Like she's right. just walking around, but they're playing this music over her walking around, and mm-hmm. that like makes it uh, makes us feel so like some type of way. Yeah, I think how short and clipped it is. That also adds to it. It's like you said, there's no long... Really, there's only, like, a couple um, moments, I think, within the entire piece. And that's usually when she's making Filch do something. That's usually when it shows up. So it's, like, not when it's actually focused on her. When it's focused on her, everything is super short and clipped and staccatoed and just very um, urgent, I think. There's a word, there's an adjective that I can't quite... Aggressive definitely fits, but Mm -hmm. I want to say urgent... In the sense that, like, you see when she's walking down the halls, everyone's kind of stressed out because she's, you know, tucking in people's shirts. She's physically moving people around. Like, she's being horrible. And also, I think that part of that is because usually in music, the progression is, like, there's a fast part and a slow part. Mm -hmm. And you. so when I um, was still singing, a big thing that my voice teacher always told me that was the person with the 
fast notes controls the speed of the song. So like mm. a great example of that is, is I'm getting into fucking music theory. Um but or God, music like I, it, it's not it's not even music theory, it's like music like emotions. But yeah. you know, uh, a great example of that is Ave Maria because the singer in Ave Maria is just going like Ave Maria and they're just like holding out the same note forever whereas the mm-hmm. piano is going like yeah you got the arpeggio like over and over there. yeah exactly so you know but and, and if the piano person goes like real slow the singer's just like i can't breathe because yeah. you're going so slow and Fuck i have to you. hold this note so but <laughs> and the thing is but usually if if that's happening, because that's a that's a two part thing. Obviously, there's right. the singer and then there's the accompaniment. But mm-hmm. in instrumentals like this, usually that's kind of counterbalanced through uh, more like fast paced parts and slower mm-hmm. parts. And the umbrage theme doesn't have that. No. The umbrage theme is just fast. It is like, yeah. and also it gets a little bit like progressively faster throughout. It's like mm-hmm. there are different parts of it. You know, there's the part kind of where. Um, you know, it's like she turns a corner and she does some other stuff and like, you know, and so there's different parts of the song, but for the most part, the song doesn't really slow down. Yeah. And I think that that's part of like, yeah. And I think that that's part of why it's so stressful is because there's no, like, like there's only, I think there's the one like suspenseful part where I think it's, um, she's like talking to Filch or something, but, um, and that where like the, like the one note just holds yeah. <laughs> and that's like suspense part. But that isn't a slowdown in the music. It's just one note holding. And then you go back right back to being fast. Right. So the fact that there aren't really any breaks creates a more stressful like feeling. It's like that meme where it's like every time someone says a word, it gets faster and faster. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. And it's like B movie. And so <laughs> it's like yeah. every time someone says the word B in B movie, it speeds up. Yeah. And then B-movie ends up being over in about 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> Another thing that I loved about just Nicholas Huber in Order of the Phoenix in general, I loved how he sort of had the umbrage moments. He had the stressful, cheery, like, this is confusing my body type music. But then when it comes to the Department of Mysteries and the big battle there those really heavy strings mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. Like that is incredible to me. And that every single time it plays, it just conveys battle. Yeah. And I love that. So he did, I think he did great in that one. In the sixth one, he shifts. He, he has the same, it's kind of like general Williams. Like you can tell that it's him, especially in, um, uh, the potions scenes really anytime they're like racing to do a potion you can hear sort of umbrage-esque tones come in yeah like it's not it's obviously not the same song or anything like that but you can hear that sort of like bright choppy like mm-hmm. stressful stress inducing music because they're under pressure they're under a time limit they're competing it's mm-hmm. nobody's really loving it yep. <laughs> except harry <laughs> so like but i think overall the rest of his pieces for that entire movie are more full of despair. Yeah. Which tracks, because that's what the fucking plot of that film yeah. is more despairing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I mean, you notice, like, the romance pieces. The thing with the sixth one 
is every single like every single film prior to this I have a specific moment or multiple specific moments or multiple specific songs that stick out to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh yeah, like that's like, that's the song. That's the moment. And I'm like trying to, I'm thinking through the sixth one and I'm like, I don't have a specific memory. I don't And that's either, the thing. It's honestly. like, I think that, I mean, I think that the music was good and I think that the mm-hmm. music did a good job, like enhancing what it needed to enhance. But also I don't think that there were any standouts. The only one that's a standout for me is the scene when Hermione sees Ron and Lavender together and she sends the birds after him. Yeah, that was a good one. That's the only one that's a standout. It's, it's, honestly, it captures all of the emotions to me. It's beautiful. It's a gorgeous piece. Mm-hmm. But you can just feel the sadness in it. Yeah. And, ooh, actually, that that one actually does have a really, really good moment, too, because in the film... It transitions, you're seeing Hermione and Harry, like Hermione's crying after she sends the birds on Ron, crying. And then you kind of pull out the window, like, because they're sitting in a tower, right? And then the camera pulls out of the window and, like, shifts around the building and then goes into a different window. Like, the way that it pulls back and as it's, as the camera is pulling back and, like, you know, we're expanding the scene and kind of moving away from Harry and Hermione... The music in that particular song also becomes more broad. Yeah. It starts off with just harp and I don't remember what other what other instruments. Harp and something else, probably some other strings. And then, as it pulls back, then more instruments come into the ensemble mm-hmm. to like create a more vast view. That always impressed me. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I've, That's I I, I never noticed that, but now I'm gonna have to go back and, and check that out. Yeah. But I'm with you. Nothing else in that film. Like, I honestly couldn't really tell you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Moving on. Two, seven, and eight. <laughs> with <laughs> our dear friend Alexandra Desplat. I don't actually know if that's how he says his name. It's probably Alexander. But I always used to be like, Alexandra! <laughs> <laughs> that motherfucker that did Twilight. Listen, I was pissed. <laughs> Because it was supposed to be John Williams. He originally said he was coming back to finish out the film. And I was like, this is going to be perfect. Like, he's going to finish it. It's going to be the perfect close to this series that I love so much. And something came up and he couldn't do it. And they announced that then Alexander Desplat was going to do it. And I was like, not him. (laughs) I was like, they're choosing someone from Twilight to replace John Williams? And I was so mad. But see, I this is so funny that you were like following this. I didn't. I this was not even like on my radar. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, dude, when they were like when they announced the last movies, and like, I remember specifically waiting on the edge of my seat to be like, who is composing the mu- music? This is important. <laughs> and then I was so excited because I heard it was going to be John Williams, and then it changed, and my heart broke. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's okay. I take it back. He did a good job. He he was good in New Moon, I gotta admit. And he was very good in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. So I take back all of my aggressions. Well done, sir. <laughs> so He in... did. Yeah. No, I mean, he did really well. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He, I honestly think he aced it. In Deathly Hallows Part 1, first of all, the fact that it opens and you're seeing, like, the opening scene 
where you kind of see Harry with the Dursleys, you see Ron with his family, and then you see Hermione wipe her parents' memory. Mm-hmm. That song is so haunting mm-hmm. because it's building the suspense, yet also it's so quiet and such a slow build. Mm-hmm. that, And, like, the overarching strings over top of it, like, really portray the sadness mm-hmm. as the intensity is building. Like, so many complex things happen in that piece that, like, you don't necessarily... you're. Probably not aware of it as you're listening, but then if you look back and you're like, God damn. Like, just so much is happening, and I love it. Yes. No, that's great. I do like that the music was a very seamless transition between movies seven and eight. I mean, because they're they're both Deathly Hollows, so, you know, it's like... They should be somewhat similar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, if they weren't similar, that'd be an issue. So, but the Mm -hmm. fact that it's like this transition is so seamless, it's like, okay, this is solid. Like, they they did good. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Mm-hmm. I loved Lily's theme, the actual opening to part two. Mm-hmm. And I think that one, I'll admit at first I didn't like it. Like when I, because I listened to the soundtrack before the film came out. Because I, I listened to the soundtrack the fucking day it dropped. I like downloaded that immediately. <laughs> but, and I didn't like Lily's theme at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I was like, this feels out of place. I don't really like it. But then when I saw it in context of the film... It really tied everything together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I loved, love, love, love the way that Alexander did a ton of callbacks of OG themes. Mm -hmm. For example, in the Dragonflight, well, sorry, the piece is called Dragonflight. In the Dragon Green Got Scene, the suspense is building, you know, they're clawing to get out of the building. Everyone's trying to stop them from getting out of the building. Once they break free and actually take to the sky, that's when they bring back original Harry Potter themes. Yeah. And that just, like, I honestly, I probably teared up when I heard it for the first time. Like, it was so good. Mm-hmm. Just because it brings back those original feelings of, yeah. like, the yeah, this is why we do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other time that I think he did it a little bit more obvious like, the dragon one, it, it is, like, it's there if you listen for it and everything, but the one that was the most obvious, I think, is when they walk into the room of requirement, when mm-hmm. they go back into Hogwarts, and it's Harry's, is it, no, it's Harry's theme? Harry's Wondrous World? I don't know, man. Maybe had You're the theme. one who regularly listens to the soundtracks, my man. <laughs> like I know, but I haven't seen that movie in a hot second, and I don't remember. It's one know, of the yeah. originals. It absolutely is Harry's Wondrous World, so. <laughs> Just thought I'd put it out there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that callback to, like, the first time they enter Hogwarts, that was meaningful. Yeah. That got me. Mm-hmm. I think really the last standout one, though, in any of those films was the, the Battle of Hogwarts yeah. music. Because mm-hmm. he, they slowed it down. Like, they play that same theme elsewhere and i should know where but i'm blanking on it right now but they play the same theme it's just sped up and then when they actually go through the battle of hogwarts they take that theme and they slow it down mm-hmm. and then i think that's way more meaningful because everything kind of seems to be in slow motion as they're making their way from the room of requirement to the forest mm-hmm. and you know you're just watching everyone die and it's everything's horrible good job alexander you got us in the fields i know right yeah no now i'm like depressed <laughs> okay well i'll ask you a question 
And listeners, you can help me out too, because this is something that confuses me. But I'm like, am I wrong in this? So the last scene of them being that age, like before, before the epilogue, the scene of them chilling like outside when Harry fucking breaks the wand and throws it like a dumbass, Mm -hmm. which we'll talk about that another time. (laughs) But am I wrong that that theme that plays in that moment is the same theme as when Cho kisses Harry? Like, my dude, I would have to watch that again. I mean, I trust you, but I did not pay that much attention. (sighs) See, I, I'm pretty sure it is. I can't be positive, but that sure as hell is what it sounds like. Every time I watch that scene, it's it drives me crazy. Like even if it's on TV, like because Harry Potter is always on. So like if I'm catching that scene at some point, I'm sitting there and I'm like, why the fuck are you playing Harry and Cho kissing? To be the culmination of the end of this series? Like, what are you doing? That's so funny. I don't know. I could be wrong. Someone, I mean, maybe they're just similar. They could be similar. It Like, it's probably, like, I mean, it's composed by a totally different person. So it, I'm sure it's not the same thing. But, okay, so then why would you take that theme? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you take the main theme from Harry and Cho kissing and put it at the final scene of fucking Hogwarts? <laughs> Listen or someone help me with this because I'm confused and angry about it. <laughs> I don't know, my dude. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, shall we play some games? We shall. Ready, Fred? Ready, George? I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Feet off the table! Bottom, sir. All right. Listeners, this is Accio or DePulso. It is our game that is essentially like a uh, red flag or deal breaker situation. So the concept is you are going on a date with this person. The date went really well. Everything about them, it's like, all right, continuing the relationship material, right? Yeah. Is the concept. Except for this one thing that I'm going to list. And then mm-hmm. we're going to discuss whether or not it's going to be an Accio or DePulso. Okay. So, the first one. They love cockroach clusters and insist that you try them. Oh. See, the thing is, for me, oh. I'm like, the fact that they love the cockroach clusters, I'm like, that's disgusting, my man, but, like, you do you. But the yeah. fact that they're insisting that I try them, I'm like, hmm. That's the part that, yeah, that's what gets me. Like, I would be fine with it if they just loved it. Because we did, actually. At one point during an episode, we were just like, are cockroach clusters actually made of cockroaches? And we looked it up, and they are. They are, my friends. So uh, it's a no from me. If I could just, like, lick it. If I could just (laughs) lick the chocolate part and just, like, "Eh, okay, I tried it. (laughs) But otherwise... No, I'm not eating them. Yeah, no, me neither. Okay, number two. They're afraid of muggles. Like, genuinely... Afraid? Yeah, they're genuinely just, like, afraid of muggles. They're not, like... They're not, like... They don't hate muggles or anything. They're just, like, really scared of them. (laughs) Like... Like, they genuinely, like, go out into the world and they're like, Oh my god, there's a muggle over there, we need to leave. (laughs) Exactly, no, yeah, that's what happens. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think I would. I think I would have to say to Pulso because, like, I, we couldn't no. go anywhere. I couldn't take them yeah. anywhere. <laughs> Especially if we're assuming, like, in all of these things, I'm assuming that I'm a Muggleborn because it just makes sense. Yeah. So, like, I would never. We could never visit my family. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's like genuinely like they're afraid. It's like what? Poor, poor person. I know. You get some therapy going on. I know, right? Like exposure therapy. Yeah. Um, number three. Their Patronus is a bug. Their Patronus? Yes, their Patronus. That's fine. Even though, like, I like, wouldn't they, love they, it? they send you, like, messages, and but then you just see this little Patronus bug crawling towards you, and then it opens its mouth, and then, like, your partner's voice comes out to give you a message. Yeah, but it's that, like, ghostly, like, silky color. It's not, like, an actual... Yeah. Like, if you said their Animagus was a bug, then I'd be pretty freaked out. Cause, you like, were fine with the fish! I don't regularly <laughs> try to kill fish! <laughs> like, if I see a fish, I'm not gonna try to kill it. That's if true. I see a bug, I'm smashing it with a book. <laughs> Listeners, that was a callback to our episode concerning Peter Pettigrew. Listen to that. We played the same game with obviously different prompts, and uh, let us know what you think about that, because I'm still not over the fish animagus situation. But anyway, this isn't the fish The number animagus. of times in our personal conversations, the number of times that either of us have brought up fish since that episode went out is hilarious. So, but right now, we're talking about their Patronus being a bug. So. Yeah, that would be fine because it's it's very clearly not realistic. Like, yeah, it'll look like just like a, a silver shadow of a bug. Yeah. For me, I, I think that I think that I would continue to go out with them, but they're on thin fucking ice. So. <laughs> Don't you send me a goddamn message or you're gone. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, we'll just do owls. Thank you. But also, I mean, talk about exposure therapy. I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that would be the way to do it, because if your partner's voice comes out, it could be like, oh, you're nice. Or that could have the opposite effect, where I'm just like, I hear my partner talk, and I'm like, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Just immediately start hitting them with a book, and be like, I hate you. Yeah. (sighs) All right. They constantly cut you off to talk about their award-winning Quidditch history during their time at Hogwarts. No. It's a no? It's a no. I can't. Yeah. If they talked about it, like, on our downtime, like, if we're just chilling on the couch, like, on our phones, and they're like, oh my goodness, did I tell you about this time? That's totally different. But if they're cutting me off Mm -hmm. to tell me about their award-winning time, no, fuck right off. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, pretty much the same for me. I'm also just like, there's only so much sports ball I can take. I don't care if it's played on broomsticks. Yeah. So, like, you know, I don't, like, there There would be a point where it's like, all right, I don't care if it's played on a broomstick or a two-by-four. Like, we need to move on. So, okay. <laughs> okay. Number five. They don't like owls because they're afraid of birds and refuse to use them to send mail. <laughs> I guess we're only using bug protonuses now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there you go. So I actually have a friend that's afraid of birds, and it's hilarious. Same! I also have a friend who's afraid of birds. Yeah. That wouldn't bother me. I mean, it would be annoying, sure, but I'm not gonna end the relationship over it. See, that's the thing. I don't know. I'd probably, because, like, I just really love animals, 
And I think that mm-hmm. not being able to have an owl in a society that has owls, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could do it. Well, okay, there's no saying that, like, you can't send letters to other people using owls. Well, yeah, but, like, what if we live together? The owl has to live with us. Can you have a, a like, a shed, an owl shed? That'd be so sad for the owl! Yeah, that's true. They would need a buddy. Yeah. Well, you could go to the owl post office. They have owl post offices where you can rent owls. Not the same. <laughs> The look that I just got, guys, you should have seen it. It was hilarious. Okay. Yeah, it's a depulsive for me. All right, last one. I can do it. It's fine. Last one. And I'm interested to know your thoughts on this one. Uh Uh-oh. They have 12 pet toads running free in their apartment. Running free? (laughs) Your face. My question is why? Yeah, no, they're just free-range toads. Like, they're like, you know how some people have, like, bunny rabbits that are, like, cats, and they just, like, mm-hmm. you know, they use, like, litter boxes and stuff? Assume mm-hmm. it's, like, the same concept, but with toads. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> Actually, it reminds me, when I was a kid, we visited my mom's friend, and this woman had a free-range iguana that just roamed throughout <laughs> the house. And I was, I don't know. Seven, and someone pointed out to me she lived on the water as well and someone pointed out the window and so I'm thinking they're telling me like look at the view look at the water so I ran to the windowsill to like look out the window and look at the, the lake that motherfucker was on the back of the couch and I didn't see it and so like I am basically like I have my face in it essentially looking out the window and then I look down and see this big ass iguana I, when I tell you that I <laughs> tripped off the back of that couch and fell over, it was horrifying. So, that was just one. I'm imagining 12. I mean, but toads. they're toads. They're not iguanas. Mm, they, they still are, uh... Would you, would you handle 12 toads? Yeah, I could handle 12 toads. I think it'd be fine. Have you ever interacted with a toad before? Yeah, I've held them. They're fine. Yeah, but, like, okay, just, you're, like, sitting there watching TV, and then a frog hops, or a toad hops on you. Yeah. Oh, God, what if they're in your bed? Nope, I couldn't do it. Now you're kind of convincing me to your side a little bit more. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know. Now I'm just, but your iguana story has me thinking about, my mom was watching our next-door neighbors when I was really little had parrots, and so my mom was watching them, and she brought me over, and then she found one of the parrots dead. (gasps) And then, you know what my mother did? What did she do? She put it in the freezer. <laughs> I was actually just about to say, I feel like my mother has told me about this. <laughs> oh my god. She just froze it. She put it in a plastic Ziploc bag. <laughs> and then put it in the freezer. <laughs> I know, it's like, I don't, yeah, it's like, I don't know what to do with this bird. (laughs) Why did she just, like, throw outside? Just, like, chilling in the yard when they got Oh, I hate that. Or, at least it's a good thing she didn't, like, get it stuffed and, like, put it somewhere in the house for them to find. Oh, God. Anyway, listeners, thank you for coming and listening to us today. We really appreciate you. 
we would really also appreciate it if you could leave us a review. And tune in next week to see what other kind of shenanigans we get into. Yes. I'm dead awful at potions. I can teach you how to bewitch the mind. I've always felt our futures lay outside the world of academic achievement. It tastes like goblin piss. <laughs>